it's quite humbling to me. Raised in East Texas, eighth grade, I had 22 people in my class, a little small school. I was basically a C student. I can say C, I survived school. And uh, I don't know why or how it ought to do it. It would take me and call me to ministry and allow me to preach in Germany and Africa and Jamaica and Peru and Mexico and tomorrow Honduras. There's a lot better people he could have picked and used, but I'm still humbled uh, by the whole process that he would give me such privilege, such opportunity to be able to go to another country and exalt the king of the universe. So I'm thankful for that and met some of the greatest people in the world. Most of them are not Americans. And uh, it's just amazing what God does in people's lives all over. And uh, I wish you could go with me on a mission trip and find out that people in another country, in another place, don't have any of the things that we have. Man, a genuine heart that loved Jesus and uh, would truly just welcome you into their home and feed you and don't even know you. They'd treat you like a king. I stayed in Chiapas one night and stayed in a king-sized bed, and the family of the home took a small room and wanted to give the white guy the best room in the house. Just humbling things like that. I wish you could go and see. All right. Great, a great politically correct message today. The words of Jesus judge you right now and will in the future. John chapter 12, verses 44 through 50. Let's finish this chapter before I leave. And so I might read it a little bit differently, but it's important to me to bring out some of these verb tenses as I read. And we'll make it simple. All of us will be able to understand this message. So John 12 and verse 44. I read slowly and try to emphasize a few of these things along the way. Jesus cried out with a loud voice and said, Whoever is believing in me is not believing in me, but in the one having sent me. And the one seeing me sees the one who sent me. Now, careful here in verse 46. I, light, have come into the world so that everyone believing in me should not remain in darkness. And if anyone hears these words and does not keep them, Anyone hears these words and should not keep them. I do not judge him. Because I I did not come that I may judge the world, but that the world may be saved. Now, whoever is rejecting me and not receiving my words has one judging him. You see that? They have one judging him. Well, who's doing the judging? The word which I spoke judges him in the last day. Because I did not speak out of myself, 
But the one, the Father who sent me has given me a command what to speak and what I shall say. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, whatever I say, I speak just as the Father has told me to say. Father, help us with this text this morning, and may it cancel out the culture. May it cancel out politics. May it cancel out modern philosophies. And may your word reign supreme over us today. May we submit ourselves unto the authority of your word. And may we say amen to the truth of it, however it may apply to our heart. That we would give ourselves up to your authority this day. And Holy Spirit, take these words and use them for whatever you would want to use them for. We pray these things by the Spirit, in Christ's name, amen. Well, the introduction is not that fascinating just to kind of recall to your mind the world in which we live. We live in a world, that you know this stuff, so I will not elaborate it long. We live in a world full of judgmental people who continually cry out that it's unfair to judge. And even when they say it's unfair to judge, they're making a judgment. You have racial judgments, that's the news of the day, even in the religious world, political world, racial judgments, political judgments, socioeconomic judgments, religious judgments, personality judgments, day-to-day judgments about numerous issues are the reality of the world we live in. But we should be mindful in this world that says you can't judge while they're judging, we should be mindful of a few basics that we need to be aware of as we proceed with this text. And I think there's about five that I want to list. First, there is a judgment that will be made on the life of every individual. We at least need to recognize, however you want to navigate this judgmental issue, there will be a judgment on every individual. Some of you may say, well, that means the preacher. I agree. There will be a judgment for me as well. Second thing to keep in mind, the judgment will be made by the Lord, and His judgment will be based on righteousness. He'll make it. It'll be based on righteousness. Third, the very Word of God is the judgment. Now and in eternity. Fourth, whatever your opinion is about judgment, it does not negate the reality that judgment is coming. Whatever your opinion, well my opinion, it doesn't matter what your opinion is, the judgment will still come. Lastly, when the Lord passes judgment upon you, I think this is the part the world can't stomach or can't take, when the Lord passes judgment upon you, There are no second chances. There's no arbitration. There's no leniency for good behavior. You can't cry out that there's a hung jury and you will not be able to make a later appeal. The Lord's judgment will be final and it will be binding. The question perhaps you ought to ask yourself this morning is, am I ready for 
this judgment. Am I ready? Because it's going to come. All right, so that lays some groundwork. God's judgment upon believers and unbelievers is as plain or clear as night and day. Now, let's look into this text. Three simple points. Uh, The first one is synonymous because I want you to see this relationship between father and son being synonymous, being equal in value, equal in personhood. And not that I want to validate uh, preachers who preach loud, but I do want to affirm that it is the position of Jesus that he preached loud. Whether we like loud preaching or quiet preaching, I at least know that Jesus preached loudly. And I know that from my text in John 12, 44, because the Greek word here is krazo, to communicate something in a loud voice. Call out, cry out. Just at least understand, whatever your position may be, Jesus lifted his voice loudly in the public sphere and proclaimed a message. Just a side note here, you see a guy on the street preaching or using amplification outside, as we did at July the 4th, preaching at a fireworks stand in which I was cussed out and called a cult leader or something like this. Just because I'm crying out doesn't make me a cult leader. It may mean that I'm imitating Christ. Because he lifted, look, don't glamorize this. He didn't lift his voice at First Baptist better than you. He was out in the public realm lifting his voice and making a declaration to a large crowd. Now, if you want to see how this word is used, I'll just scan a couple of these very quickly. But get the heart of this loud voice. Mark ten forty eight. you had a guy by the name of Bartimaeus. And he was a blind beggar. So if you're blind for a long time and you hear that someone's coming who can heal blindness and there's a crowd and a cacophony of voices all around you and you're desperate for sight, how do you cry out? Jesus, please heal me of my blindness. Please listen to me. No, that's not how you cry out. You lift up your voice. And, and he's lifting his voice, and many are rebuking him. And they're saying, be silent. And he cries out all the more, Son of David, have mercy, please. He's desperate. It's the same word. Jesus cried out like this. Or, you know this scene, Jesus comes into Jerusalem. And they're all the crowd, thousands of people, Hosanna! Hosanna! It's all, you say, man, you're too loud. Look, they're louder than that. At the football game, you don't complain. But they're all shouting Hosanna as much as you shout, catch a ball. Or if you want it in a more gruesome scene, you don't want Hosanna or you don't want blind Bartimaeus, I'll give you another shouting that went on in Jesus' day. Crucify! Crucify him now! That's what he yelled out. Put him to death! We're sick of looking at him! That's the heart behind this word, cried out. Or you could take it into the book of Acts. And you could take it to them yelling out, Great is Artemis of the, of the Ephesians. Or, or when the violent mob was attacking Paul, and they're crying out, Away with him! Away with him! We want you stinking preaching here no more! That's what they cried out, having a riot. Riots are not, Would you please stop preaching in the name of Jesus? That's not how they speak. I just want you to make the connections that here in my text... Jesus 
lifted up his voice to a very high level because he had something to say. And he said it clearly, and he said it loudly, and he expected them to hear it, to listen to it. Now, what is it that he lifts his voice and says? He says in our text in verse 44, whoever is believing... Same way in John 3, 16. It's not translated that way, but uh, for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever is believing in Him. It's an ongoing reality of one's life. And here Jesus, using that same word and the same type of verbiage, whoever's believing in Me. Now, what does it mean to believe? I had that question asked by a kid to me this week. And, you know, how do you answer that? Well, to entrust oneself into the hands of another. To put all responsibility in the hands of another. Let me give it, let's make it simple. Tomorrow, Lord willing, the creek don't rise. We make it to the airport and we get on the airplane. We are believing in the pilot. We're putting our very being in his hands. If he crashes, we crash. If he goes to the wrong destination, we go to the wrong destination. If he drives around in circles in the sky for a long time and makes the trip eight hours, it makes it eight hours for us. We are completely submitted under his guidance. We're trusting or believing. So he's saying, believing in Jesus, I'm taking my life, I'm putting it in the hands of Christ, and I'm saying, whatever you direct, that's what I'm doing. Wherever you go, I go. Whatever you say, I believe. Whatever commands you give, I say, yes, Lord, because I've given you my life. I'm a believer. Whatever it is that you bring forth in the pages of Holy Writ, I say yes and amen. Whoever is believing in me. And we have this weird phrase here. It kind of catches you. You're like, what did he say here? Whoever's believing in me is not believing in me. But in the one who sent me. There's no contrast between, you cannot believe in God without believing in Jesus. You can't believe in Jesus without believing in God. They come together in this unity, synonyms, if you will. It, so the world who would say, I believe God, but I don't believe Christ, they're lying. You're not speaking the truth because you can't have one without the other. It's a package deal. Come together in perfect unity. And he goes on, not only believing, but seeing. This one is easy for us. We understand what it means to see. But there's a little more depth to the word than just seeing a car pass by. To observe something with sustained attention. I'm looking into this matter over a long period of time, trying to figure it out. Um, let me make up something. I don't know. You buy some new electronic gadget. We're electronic gadgeted people. You buy a new electronic gadget and you're like, you start looking into it. How do I make this work? How do I do this? How do I set up my contacts? How do I connect this and this? Does it connect to my other devices? And you read all these books and pamphlets that come. Then you get on that thing called Google and you ask all these questions. That's, this is looking with a sustained attention because you want to know. Whoever is looking at Jesus with a sustained attention, in actuality, you're looking into the one who sent him. Looking unto God. So Jesus, the loud voice, is intently trying to get the people to listen to him. Believing in Jesus is synonymous with a man whose belief is in God. They cannot be separated if you'll turn in your Bible, just very quickly, it won't take long, John chapter 14, you know the text well, but let us at least hear it. 
he says this very thing later on, chapter 14, to a man by the name of Philip. Chapter 14, verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, speaking to Jesus, I just, here's what I need. I need for you to show us the Father, and that'll be enough. Jesus says to him, here's a direct, clear answer. Have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? In our text in John 12, whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. And Jesus says it again here to revalidate it for Philip. There's an equality in the Godhead. Now, second point, verses 46 and verse 47. Now, there's a prominence here, something that is to grasp our attention uh, I read it in the Greek text because it makes it stand out just a tad bit more emphasis. But if you look at these first words, it is, I, light, am come into the world. Whatever we understand about light, however we comprehend light, must be derived from Christ because Christ is light. Any definition we work from has to come from the original source. Anything that we can know about light is found in Him. Go all the way back. You'll remember. Go all the way back. This light is powerful, right? Go all the way back to John chapter 1. You go all the way back to Genesis and light came into the world. But you can go here in John 1 and we learn this right at the beginning of this book. Whenever we started it, whenever that was. The light, okay, well now I can answer this back in verse 5. The light is Christ. He's the light. I, light, have come into the world. The light, he shines in the darkness. What's the darkness? The world in which we live. And wherever Christ is named, wherever Christ is preached, wherever the gospel is upheld, darkness loses. There's a word here for us, for those of you that go to an abortion clinic, those of you that go to the stockyards, those of you that go to the fireworks stand, those of you that witness to a neighbor in a cubicle at your work, those of you that witness to a family member. Wherever you take this gospel to a family reunion, to a, a, a restaurant on the, in the middle of the week, wherever you take this gospel, you have something more powerful than whatever you engage. Because the light always defeats the darkness. Every time. You say, well, my light's not very bright. It's still going to defeat darkness. A graphic thing just for my life, you have your own examples, but we love to hike, and when we were in Arkansas, we go hiking, and we went on this guy, got this guy to take us a, uh, into this cave. It was a locked cave. You had to have a key to get in, and we get all the way to the back of that cave, get all the way down the bottom, you turn off every single light, and literally, you can't see your hand in front of your face. It's black as black can be. In that context, just one little bitty flashlight illuminates the room. You see, this is what we're working with here. Christ is not some little bitty flashlight. He's the light of the entire universe. Can you, can you get a hold of this? When you take Him into your family, when you take Him into your work, when you take Him into Walmart, when you take Him into the public rim, you're blinding people. You're pushing darkness back when you name the name of Christ because He's light. 
He is the very light that shines in. You say, well, people will do this, people do this. But they're squirming on the inside every time because light is just that way. You shine the light wherever you go. We have that assurance here. Now, back to John 12. And as we look at John 12, and as he says here that he's this light, I, light, have come into the world, verse 46. Now, back up to where we preached the other day, because he's keeping all of this in context. So go back up to about verse 34, uh, the end of verse 34. Who is the Son of Man? That's the last line of verse 34. Who is he? Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I can answer that question. The light, self-reference here, the light is among you. I'm in your very presence for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light. If you don't walk while you have light, the darkness will overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness, I don't have a clue where he's going. You don't know where he's going. He's going to hell. That's where he's going. You don't know. While you have the light, what should you do? Believe the light. Why? Because those who believe the light become something. What do they become? They become sons of the light. Those who are believing become children adopted into the family of God. When the light is preached, or in their context, when he's physically before them, the impetus is believe. Right now. Why would you wait to the belief tomorrow? You don't even know you're going to see tomorrow. If people sit in this church all the time, lost people, never repent, never believe, never get baptized, and they're always going to believe next week, next year, next month. You believe while you have the light because you may never hear the light again. You'll never be in the light again. Now, <clears throat> that's the prominence is the light. And here's the purpose in this text, verses 46 and 47. Two purposes. Purpose number one is in verse 46. Purpose of this light is that everyone believing in Jesus should not remain in darkness. This is where we get down to this powerful working of the gospel. Now listen just carefully for one second here. There is no such thing as a gospel that keeps people where they were. So we got a whole world of Azelites that believe in Jesus and remain living, functioning like they always have. That's not a gospel. And it doesn't line up with Scripture because if we believe Jesus, you cannot remain in darkness. So when this work is done in you, it starts delivering you and pulling you out and your life begins changing to the degree that people say, what is going on with you? Well, I believe the light. And he pulled me out of that so I don't have fellowship with that anymore. Remember John 12, 26, same chapter. You can just glance there. Remember what he said, if anyone serves me, anybody, anybody want to serve Jesus? Well, then you must follow him. You can't follow Jesus and stay in the dark. It's impossible. Believing negates remaining. Y'all getting any of this? This is applicable to people you deal with every day, and some even in our own church. 
There's some particulars that come with this purpose, and it is in verse 47, verse, the first part of the verse, 47a. If anyone out there hear my words, hear the words of Jesus, and not keep them, if there's anybody out there hearing, remember, he's got a loud voice, he's proclaiming it to the whole crowd, he said, if anyone out there in this listening audience to this message I'm preaching does not keep my words, it's a particular point, he's driving something home here, all of you can hear my voice, but if there's someone out there that's not going to keep, obey what it is that I'm saying, there's going to be some effects that come from that. So there's a connection here between believing and deliverance. A believing and a deliverance from darkness. You hear, you keep, you can't stay in the darkness. Now, interesting word to keep. To continue to keep a law or a commandment from being broken. I'm going to obey what God's Word commands. To not... Keep his words is to incur judgment. I'm not going to do what you say. Okay, just note that you're storing up wrath for the day of wrath. You're storing up judgment for the day of judgment because you're hearing the word, processing the word, and saying, no, I'm not going to keep that. That puts you in rebellion or rejection to the words of God. Thus, then, the words will be held for your judgment. Now, just to remind you of these, uh, these a couple of verses, just to remind you of the relationship between us and commandments. John 14, it's pretty close there, John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments, whoever has them, whoever has my commandments and keeps them. He's, he's defining it for us. Well, well what, is, what type of person has the commandments of God and keeps the commandment of God? Who is that? The one who loves him. That's who does it. It's, you say, why do you obey what the Bible says? Because of Jesus. It's, it's what John 14, 21 is. He, whoever, it's he who loves me. He who loves me, good news, will be loved by my Father. And I will love him. And I will just keep manifesting myself to him. Do you get the connection? Have the commandments keep the commandments, receive the love of God, have the love of Jesus, keep manifesting itself to you, and it's an ongoing wellspring that wells up within you in a love relationship that God has provided. John 14 again, verse 23. Jesus answered them, If anyone out there loves me, I can tell you what he'll do. This is Jesus speaking. He will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we, look, we, Father and Son, we will come to Him. We'll make our home with Him. You want the Father and the Son to take up residence in you. You love Him and keep His word. Who, whoever doesn't love me, they don't keep my word. Just dismiss that. Do what they want to do. And the word that you hear, by the way, it's not mine. He says it in our text. He says it in John 14. Look what I, Jesus says, what I'm saying is not even my original word. It comes from the Father who sent me. Everything the Father says, I say. I would remind you, love is an action word. It's a self-denying word. And it's a word that costs you something. No to me, yes to him. No to me, yes to him. That's purpose number one. Purpose number two. 
He says in our text, in verse 47, second part of verse 47, he says, I do not judge him. People like that verse. You might hear that said out in the public forum. It's like they might not have finished reading the text. They certainly didn't finish Matthew 7. But they say, look, Jesus doesn't judge. He says, I don't judge him. He says right here in the text, I've not come that I may judge the world. See, Jesus doesn't come to judge. He says, but his purpose is that he may save the world. Okay, granted, but let's work with the text a little bit. The word judge. Let's at least get a definition of the word judge. To engage in a judicial process. To decide. To hail before a court. To condemn. Or in the context of John 12, hand one over for judicial punishment. The the emphasis is unmistakably laid upon that which follows the divine judge's verdict. Punishment. Condemnation. This is the word for judge. Jesus says, it's not my purpose to judge. We like that framework of it. Jesus didn't come to judge me. We live in a world that doesn't want to be judged. So we like this part that his purpose is not to judge. But listen. It's not his purpose, but it will be the result if you do not believe him. His purpose is to save, but if you won't believe him, it doesn't negate the judgment to come. There is a hell. There is a last day. There is a Bema seat. There is a judge we must stand before who's on a very high throne, and we must give an account of our lives according to what we've done, whether good or whether evil. That day's coming. But if you don't want all that, receive the purpose. The purpose is that you would believe light. If you believe light, you say, well, then what happens to the judgment? The light substitutes in your place and takes your judgment for you where you can go free. Then you walk into heaven and you don't have a judgment of condemnation. You have a judgment of righteousness because you're clothed in the righteousness of the one who died for you. Okay, we're in Texas. If that didn't work, we'll make it Texan. The purpose of an air conditioner is to cool the room. Now we're talking. Now pick this up, right? If I didn't turn the air conditioners on in this room this morning, it'd be right. It's not the air conditioner's fault. Its purpose is to cool. But if you don't enact it and turn it on, that's on you. Jesus came to save. If you don't believe him, that's on you. I mean, what more proof can he give you? Look at all the signs we've been through in John. You say, I still don't believe. What else do you expect him to do? He gives sight to the blind. He gives hearing to the deaf. He makes a lame man leap for joy. He raises the dead. And you're like, well, I I just don't believe. Well, that's on you. And you're going to suffer the judgment for rejecting what he has given. But he does come to save. That is his purpose. He does come to deliver us. Think about it this way. Let's try to make it simple again. Let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to slavery in Egypt. Remember the story, right? 400-something years in slavery, making bricks every day. guy says, I believe Moses. I believe Moses is the leader. I believe Moses can deliver us. Well, if he believes Moses, he better follow him out of Egypt. If you say you believe Moses and stay in Egypt, you remain a slave. If you believe Moses and stay in Egypt, Pharaoh's still your master. 
You can't remain in Egypt and believe in Moses as he goes across the sea on dry land. Who believes? Those who follow unto that end. It's the same application here in that sense in John 12. Who is it that's believing? Those who are following. Those who are obeying. Those who love him. That's who's believing. I mean, this stuff is so radically messed up in our world. As I visited with Brandy a couple of weeks ago in the jail, she's in the jail. Get this. I mean, this is, this is just the world we live in. Her cellmate is a sex trafficking prostitute who, who, I mean, that's what she does. And she's bragging about sex trafficking and prostitution. And so Brandy tries to bring up something about the Bible. And she goes, oh, I believe in Jesus. So let me get this straight. You can be a sex trafficking prostitute Christian. That's where our world is. Just to say, I believe, somehow puts salve upon their conscience. It's so unbiblical what we live in in our society. We have a gospel. That's what radically altered all of my theology is I started studying the gospel. And it's either that the gospel has the power to deliver men out of darkness or it don't. So, so do you have a gospel that's impotent, or do you have a gospel that's potent? Which kind of gospel do you have? Because if your gospel leaves you in sin, that's not a gospel of this book. You see, because this gospel actually raises people from the dead. It actually gives them sight, and gives them ears, gives them a soft heart, and gives them a great love for Jesus, and for worship, and for fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. This type of gospel will set you free from the world. And give you a whole nother life. Now the last verses spoken. Verses 48 through 50. He says clearly, the one rejecting me. Remember he's crying out with a very loud voice. The one rejecting me. Not receiving my word. He has one judging him. This is verse 48. To reject not recognizing something or someone, disallowing it, I'm discarding him, reject. I got Paul in the book of Thessalonians and, and in regards to instructions for a life that's pleasing to God. He says in Thessalonians 1, uh, chapter 4, verse 8, therefore, therefore, whoever rejects this rejects not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Rejection. Or when he sent out the 72 disciples in Luke 10, 16. He said to them, whoever hears you, you go out in the world. Whoever hears you, Jesus says, whoever hears you, hears me. But whoever rejects you, the message you bring, whoever rejects that, they reject Christ. The one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. When, when the world rejects, ultimately, they are rejecting God himself. Rejection of Jesus is specifically tied to the response of the Word of God, even in this room. You say, well, I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to repent. I'm not going to be baptized. You just stuck your fist in the face of God and said, I reject everything you say, and I'm doing it my own way. It can happen in the church. It can happen in the world. But when the Word of God is unfolded, the truth is before your very eyes. It says, repent and believe this light in order that you may be delivered from darkness. And you say, I'll have none of it. You just told God to take a hike. Whoever's rejecting me, whoever's not receiving to not accept is true, 
to not receive someone's words and use them as a guide, the act of receiving is negated. I won't take it. The one not receiving Jesus' words. It's, let me use it positively, this receiving. I'll use it positively. This is negative here, but positively, John 17, 8, when he's talking to his disciples. For I have given them the words you gave me. Jesus gives his words to the disciples. And they have received them. And they have come to know that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. This is a positive picture. They didn't reject him. They received his words, and their conclusion was, God's his Father, God sent him, this is the Messiah. It's the way it is to be believed. Now, for those who reject... And for those who do not receive, I have bad news for you. You have something. My text says so. You have something. Okay? You possess something right now. What do you have? You have a judge right now, this day and every day until your final day before God. The judge that you possess is this book. This book stands in judgment over you every day. And then when you stand before God, He's going to bring out the book. And He's going to judge you based on the book. You say, my God doesn't judge. Mine does. And this book tells me He does. And as your pastor, I must warn you that we must all appear before the judgment seat of God. And this is the book. This is the standard. This is the law that He's going to hold us accountable to. The word that Jesus spoke is the judge of every human heart. Let me give you another example to try to make it simple. Let's say, uh, I think it's 45. Let's say I see a car going through Briar at 47 miles an hour. And he stops at Dollar General. And I say to him, sir, you are speeding. And he says, you can't judge me. Look, dude, I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you what the sign says. It says 45. You're going 47. I'm not your judge. I'm just telling you what the sign says. It's the same thing when it comes to the very Word of God. We look into the Word of God and you look into someone's life and you say, look, you're a liar. You can't judge me. The book says that you're not to lie and you're lying. You say, well, you say to someone, well, uh, uh, homosexuality is an abomination. You don't know my heart. You can't say that. Look, I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you that's what the book says. I know it's found. I can look in Corinthians. I can look in Leviticus. I can read it to you. This is what the book says. Well, you, man, you're too narrow. I'm not narrow. I don't the book. I'm just telling you what the book says. This is the book that's going to hold you accountable on Judgment Day. You, you say to a person, you must come out of darkness. You can't keep living like that and be a Christian. You can't judge me. You don't know how sincere I am. I'm just telling you that the book says you can't live in darkness and claim to be in the light because it don't work. Because Jesus said you can't do it. If you believe him, you will come out of the darkness. It's unchangeable. And he says in verse 48, to make it clear, in case you don't believe that, in verse 48, Jesus says, the word I've spoken will judge him on the last day. And it wasn't my purpose, but since you rejected me, everything I've said will judge you on the last day. That's why I said walk in the light while you have the light. Believe in the light that you may become sons of light. And then if you want authoritative confirmation of his words... He says, I've not spoken out of myself. I didn't make this stuff up. Even Jesus says it this way. I didn't speak out of myself. The God of the universe commanded me, gave me a command what to say and what to speak. 
the implication is very strong here. How one responds to the word of Christ is freeing or binding. Present and future judgment is irrevocable. Can't be changed. It's coming. Jesus says, I know that the command of God is eternal life. You remember this phrase by Simon Peter, do you not? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. They understood. They recognized that these words he spoke were eternal life. God commands through Jesus eternal life to all who are believing, seeing, hearing, and keeping. So we've got a world of religion that has a sense of hearing, a sense of comprehending, but there's nothing else that goes with it. Jesus is talking about believing, seeing, hearing, and keeping. Say, well, I can't keep everything. No, but everybody that believes is filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables them to live out the Christian life, and they have a propensity for that which is right and good because they love Christ. Jesus goes on to say, look, whatever I say is what the Father told me to say. Not one word Jesus ever spoke was contrary to what God would have him to speak. When Jesus is seen, heard, and observed, it is the perfect revelation of God the Father. Now, the negative of this passage is for those who refuse to look, to listen, and to learn from him. When he is rejected, his word is not received, judgment knocks at the door. The door must be answered. Even if it's knocking on the door of those who do not believe, there's a judgment coming. Judgment knocks. Rejection plus not receiving equals judgment possessed. We learn that believing and keeping God's word spares us from the judgment of eternal hell. Now, when the word is used rightly and applied to a person, it's not judgmental in a negative way, as the world defines it. It is impossible to apply this book, this word, without it making a judgment upon you. You can't use this book without causing an offense. You, you, so you'd have to diminish this book in some way to even be able to work with it. But if you let this book stand at face value and say what it says, it's a judgment all of the time. The only safety from this judgment of this book is to be in Christ. Why? Because he's the only one who kept everything in the book. Never did anything wrong. He's upheld everything from beginning to end. No sin in word, thought, or deed. And so if he's not your substitute, you're going to be found guilty in some aspect. If you've broken one commandment, you're guilty of breaking the whole thing. James 2.10 tells us this. By the way, when the word judges someone, instead of arguing and attacking the person who shared the word, they could repent. And they could receive the judgment and say, you're right, I'm wicked, I'm sinful, and I need a Savior. It's an option that they could respond that way. 
when the, ju- when the word judges someone, the usual response is what? To attack you. Like you wrote the book or somehow you're investigating in their heart and know something more. No, they want to attack you. But here's what you'll find when you communicate this truth here. They don't want to talk about this book. They want to talk about you. You're holier than thou. You're better than me. You think you're this. You think you're that. Because you live over here. And all these accusations. Look, I want to scratch all that. What What I want to talk about is this. They don't want to talk about this. You know why? Because this judges them. And the Spirit of God takes the truth of this word and applies it to them. And it cuts them. So they do what they can to get away from it. So you as a Christian have to keep bringing them back to the book. Bringing them back to the book. If you don't, it becomes an argument about you and them. And we just fight. You get on social media and you say blah, blah, blah. And they say blah, blah, blah. And blah, blah, blah. And blah, blah, blah. And it goes back and forth and back and forth. When we're supposed to be a people who are submitting ourselves unto this truth and say, look, you can call me any name you want to call me. You can do whatever you want to do. But this is the truth. This is what we all must be submitted under is the truth of what Christ has said. Right application of the word is what Christians do. But it does not make you judgmental. It's the only place you're going to hear this all week. You're not judgmental people. I mean, we're not. I mean, we're people of the book that God has given us. The purpose of genuine Christians is for the good of another person. Why would I share these truths with another person? That they would be convicted and see their need for Christ. I'm not doing it to get an argument. I'm concerned for their soul. I don't want them to go to hell. This is the only power I have is this book. So we use this in order to expose something where they can see their need for a Savior. If a person responds wrongly to the purpose, it's on them. And you pray, you seek another opportunity, and God gives you one, you go forward again. So I ask in conclusion, are you believing Jesus now? Are you in the light now? What is the judgment of God's Word on your life? And we close with the Apostle Paul. And Apostle Paul says it this way. This is a command. Examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith test yourself or do you not realize this about yourself that Christ Jesus is in you unless you fail to meet the test the Kevin come and uh, lead us in a final song